Christ Journey family. I'm so glad that we can gather together again, whether you're joining us at Kendall Campus. Shout out to Kendall Campus today. Gables, want to give it up? Kendall, we love you. Okay, Kendall Campus, we know you're going to shout it up for us. So, Gables, we love you. We, yeah, we know they're doing that. They love us. They're thinking about us. And then wherever you're making your connection with us in your own home, online, wherever, we're praying God will meet you in a personal and powerful way there today. And, you know, you probably noticed, maybe you've even wondered about this, that the, the bumper, that's what the pre-message uh, video is called, the bumper, that is kind of a downer. Have you noticed that? It's like, man... It's like the family, what's happening with them, and is it going to work out or maybe not? And, and uh, I want to tell you why we have that, because that we're the kind of church that doesn't just step in and put a happy face on it and say it's all going to be better. We know that life is not like that. And there are times when every one of us, our heart, that's where we are. We're wondering is this thing going to work out? How's it going to turn out? Does my family have a future? And does everybody down at that church, they've all, everybody's got it together except my family. You know? I just wanted you to know, that's why we've, we use that one to say, no, this is where God meets us wherever we are. And if that happens to be where you are today, even if this is your very first time with us, then this final message in the series has got something for you. And I'm praying that we will hear it, sense it, and then respond to it because in that response of faith, that's where God has promised that he will meet us. Now, may I answer a question for you? Maybe you've also wondered, why have we spent eight Sundays? Some of you have been here for all of those Sundays. Why have we spent eight Sunday messages on Hosea? Because this is not like something that we always do. And I have some answers for you. And the first one is this. I had a strong sense of calling and prompting in my spirit from God. That's really an honest answer for you. I prayerfully prepare all of my messages uh, asking for God's leadership in their preparation. But this one, the story came strong on me. So that's the first answer is why we led, landed there. Other reasons you've seen throughout the series as we've journeyed through. Here's one. As a pastor, I regularly hear Stories of heartache and heartbreak of family dreams that are not coming true. Of family dreams, marriage dreams that are not coming true. Where people wonder, what are we supposed to do? And uh, where do I turn now? Well, the story of Hosea has answers. And that's another reason why we've joined there. Speaking of that for a second, I just want to say shout out to the 80 couples that participated in our Flourish Marriage event these last two Saturdays. And we have been praying God's blessing upon you as you take up and muscle up for building your family future forward. So God bless you for taking advantage of what your church has made available to you. Here's another one. This is a story um, about sexual confusion about sexual chaos, the story of Hosea, about identity struggles, and about an entire culture that is being defined by promiscuity and infidelity. That was Israel, 8th century B.C., the story of Hosea. And Hosea's personal story is um, he's got a wife that won't stay with him and that won't stay faithful to him. 
And that's the story of Hosea. It's kind of a tricky story to step into, but not so unfamiliar for some of us. So I'm thinking, you know, this sounds, uh, that sounds relevant to another culture that I'm familiar with. So maybe God could meet us in that place. It's a story of what happens when you have financial success, but you're still frustrated because you can't find satisfaction. That's not supposed to happen, is it? But it does. It does in the story. And you know what? It happens in our stories too. It is a story about having personal autonomy and power. That matters a lot to us. Personal autonomy. Self-determination. Personal autonomy and power. And then discovering that there are limits and even abuses to personal autonomy. That's the story of Hosea. And you've seen that in the weeks that we've been studying, discovering the abuses in oppressing others with that power. But the last verse of the book of Hosea holds the bottom line reason to the question for me. Before we look at it, I'm thinking about a story from the Old West, true story about Mark Twain who's walking through a graveyard, a cemetery in the Old West, and he sees this headstone with an epitaph carved in it. Remember, friend, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you shall be. Prepare in life to follow me. Now, there's truth in that, right? I mean, we all need to stop from time to time and then take stock of where we are, of where we're going, and of what is ultimately ahead for every one of us. But the story says that Twain reaches into his pocket, pulls out a piece of chalk, and then starts scrawling on the headstone. To follow you, I'd be content if I only knew which way you went. <laughs> the truth in that too, right? Epitaphs are like that. They bring like a bottom line message for a truth in life. Epilogues are like that too. They underline the point or like the moral of the story. And Hosea ends with a kind of epilogue verse. The message version puts it like this. If you want to live well, make sure you understand all of this, what the story was just told in the lessons you just learned. If you know what's good for you, then you will learn this inside and out. God, God's paths get you where you want to go. Right living people walk them easily. Wrong living people are always tripping and stumbling. The New Living Translation puts it like this. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But in those paths, the same paths, sinners stumble and fall. Okay, and here's the New International Version. I'd like for us to read this one together. It puts it in the form of a question. So let's all, wherever you're joining us right now, take a deep breath and let's read this out loud together. Here we go. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but
but the rebellious stumble in them. So here's the heads up. God wants the wise. Do you consider yourself wise? Okay, well then this book was written for you. Let the wise listen, pay attention, and then walk forward in this way, in these things. Did you pick those words up? What are these things? That's the question. What are these things? Well, there's some lessons in the story that will help us live well, walk upright, and not get tripped up in life. And so that's what the story was about, and I just want to list a few of those things, these things. Like here's one. Relating with human beings is complicated. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's like living with me. Me living with me is complicated. Living with human beings is complicated. So what? So set your expectation meter accordingly. People can be fickle, distracted, deceived, and flat-out sinful and destructive. Self-destructive, other-destructive. Like we say in our culture, hurt people hurt people. Well, these are some lessons where wise people are paying attention to from the story. And we can see it in Hosea. We see it in our lives. So this story is our story too. That's why we've been entering into it. Relating with human beings is complicated. Sexual impulses can be misguided. Sexual impulses can be mistaken. Sexual impulses can be enslaving. We're seeing, we see that in Hosea's wife. That's the story that we just came out of. And the pleasure can be like temporary and still leave your heart with a hole in it needing more. And Hosea comes to the last line of his letter, and he's, this is what he says. If you're wise, pay attention to these things. Otherwise, you're going to get tripped up. But going with God can show you the way out. So that's one of the answers to why. Here's thing two. Success, successful doesn't mean satisfaction. 8th century B.C., Israel had a story of military might, of political power, of financial freedom. This is like, man, the nation was like, in those ways, coming on. And then here's what they discovered, that it still doesn't guarantee spiritual completeness. The other Bible word for that is joy. Joy, deep, wide, full, free. Being economically rich can also mean, here's in the story, being abusive and oppressive and blind to your own hypocrisy. In the story, that's where we see that mirrored by. So the wise will pay attention to these things and learn from these things so that they can keep moving forward without getting tripped up. But the rebellious are just going to keep getting tangled up and more agony to come. Okay, here's thing three. Hosea, and he just keeps coming back to this one. God cares about us. God wants to be in fulfilling relationship with us. This is like, what? With his people. God is surprisingly sensitive to human beings, to human behaviors. This is the story that we've been learning from. God has feelings too. And God is, those 
those feelings, he's being transparent and recognized. He's trying to bring them into his people's awareness and, and that he is torn right now because of the betrayal of his people and the multiple shades. I mean, he shows us the multiple shades of his anger in response to that. And then his feelings, he's longing for restoration, but he's still torn. Now, an interesting thing here is that the feelings of the living God are not arbitrary and capricious like the pagan false gods who just fly off and send a lightning bolt down. In God, the Bible says that God is holy. His character, he's character driven from the inside out. That God is light. It's another way it says that. And in him there is no darkness at all. What that means is that in God's essential character, he is true. So just by showing up, if God just is being God and shows up, he's true through and through and will expose everything that is less than true just by being God. That's what justice and judgment are ultimately about. God's holiness shows up as true and exposes everything that's not. But true also means faithful. They're like two sides to the same coin. So God is faithful as true, which means that it's God's essential nature to keep promises, to hold things together. That's what faithfulness does, to keep pieces from falling apart. So God is true and God is faithful, and that's why the story tells us that God is slow to anger and he is abounding in mercy and he is faithful from generation to generation to generation to generation. God, just being God, is true and faithful and his emotional soul wants to connect in meaningful, fulfilling relationship with us. But the story does tell us that truth shows us that his patience does run out. God's patience does run out. People are given opportunity after opportunity again and again and again and again to respond to his love and to his truth and to walk in the truth, but they just rebel. And so, ultimately, truth will win. Justice will be done. True justice will be done. It's the only way for true fulfillment to come. But just like in the story, what we learn about God is that before God unleashes judgment in truth, he always starts with mercy. He extends mercy because he's keeping things together in his faithfulness. But he's not from a distance. In the story, once again, God is not absent from the grief that human sin brings into relationship and into, world, into the world and into his people's culture, he's present. And so what we've seen is that in Hosea, his prophet, God is mirroring his heart in Hosea's life so that the people can see what's going on with God. And this is the prophet whose shame is on public display. Everybody knows that Hosea's wife will not stay with him, that Hosea's wife will not stay faithful to him, that Hosea's kids are not really his kids. You know, it's like everybody knows. And his shame is on public display 
And yet God is saying, I'm showing you this because it's really how I feel. And yet I want to be in fulfilling relationship with you. And speaking of his people, what the story tells us is that God's people, they wander, they get distracted, they get deceived. They become, some of them, deceived by sin, become religious legalists. They get really religious about externals, the way things appear on the outside, so that when people look at them, they'll think, whoa, they're really religious. When really on the inside, their hearts are empty. And so it's like all for show. But at the same time, others are becoming licentious. They're just living for worldly pleasure, and yet they're always needing more. It's never quite enough. And so both of those remind us to be vigilant. Remember, the wise are paying attention, and they're taking these things in so we don't get tangled up. They're, they're, they're telling us to be vigilant about what? How you use your freedom of choice. Whether you're self-righteous or self-indulgent, what I think we're supposed to learn is that self is still at the center of all of that, not God. Is anybody paying attention? So what's thing four? Use your freedom to create more freedom. Sin doesn't make us free. Sin makes us slaves. We break ourselves, we break our homes, we break our families, we break our future when we break God's commands. That's why in the story, he, he says, so don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, don't dishonor your parents, don't cheat on your marriage, don't profane God's name, the Ten Commandments. Don't, don't disrespect others, don't dis God, but Know him and worship him in reverence. Use your freedom to create more freedom. And we do that how? By getting right with God. Here's what the story tells us. By walking close to God and then by doing the will of God. Use your freedom and more freedom will come when you're doing that to honor your promises to God. Promises in your marriage, promises in your family. So you don't throw in the towel or quit when things go wrong, when your spouse goes wrong. You don't say, well, I'm done, it's over. When a child goes wrong and is wayward or is rebellious, you don't give up. What do you do? You do the will of God. That's what Hosea did. <laughs> you, you're true and faithful. You do what it takes to keep your family together. Now, you can't always keep them together. This is what we also know. You know, it doesn't always work out that way. It's not always possible but here, we also reminded ourselves that the data shows us, that evidence-based social science data shows us that couples, 80% of couples who say they are unhappily married now and yet stick it out within five years will enter the happy category. Now, it doesn't just happen. You got to do your work to get there. But 70% um, of those saying that they are very unhappy now say that their marriage in five years when they were resurveyed said that their marriages now are quite or very happy. So the point here is, and not that that's a guarantee, the point is, okay, it's true that good marriages go bad, but it's also true that bad marriages can grow good. So thank God 
that he's not done and his love is still at work. And we also said this, though, toxic abuse needs a necessary ending. This isn't about continuing to suffer abuse. But misery can find healing and reversal in the love of God. So here's the storyline. If anybody ever had reason to walk away from a marriage and a family, it's Hosea. I mean, he, you know, repeatedly, he has the opportunity, he has reason for divorce, and yet he never does. Instead, here's what he does. He seeks her out. He sought her out. He bought her back because she had sold herself into sexual slavery. He bought her back, and then he, uh, he brought her home and said, you're mine, I'm yours, we're going to start again, and you just stay right here with me, okay? It's an amazing story. It's real troubling in a lot of ways. <laughs> but remember, what God is saying is, this is a mirror. I want, Hosea, I want my people to see that this is what I'm up to with them. This is the same thing I want for you. And so here's thing five. These things, remember, wise people pay attention to these things. What are these things? Number five, God is willing to heal and restore when we turn to him. It doesn't matter what we've done, what we've left undone. God's love just doesn't want to let go. He wants to be faithful. But he uses others, even in their problems, to help us see ourselves and then to remember that. He used Hosea's life in this story. And God can use us to help others find him in their stories too. God used Hosea and his wife and his kids, his troubled family life, to mirror for others the mercy and truth of God who loves them. With all of their limitations, you know, it's not not by hiding their failures or their mistakes, but by receiving God's forgiveness and then offering it to others. Last week, one of the men of our church asked me and a group of men that, uh, that are in his group in church, he asked me and them to pray for a family situation that he was facing. He told me it was okay to share it with you, so I'm going to do that now. Over the past months, his, mother, his wife's mother has been slipping away from this life. Hospital bed in her living room, at her house where she sleeps. She's having a hard time hearing and seeing. Um, Earlier in younger years, I mean, throughout her life, she's a mother of three. And in younger years, she was a Bible teacher at her church. But now, whatever assurances she used to have in her earlier life, they're just gone. And she's truly afraid to die and has voiced it repeatedly. Why is she afraid to die? Well, her daughter said that her mother said this, quote, she is sure God hates her for getting the divorce that broke her family up some 40 years before, and God is going to send her to hell, close quote. So she's afraid to die. She's suffering tremendous guilt, tremendous doubt, And so my friend had taken his wife this past Sunday to her mother's house and then to try to offer some uh, relief. 
And so he told his group and he told me, would you please pray for me? Because I'm looking, I'm trying to find something to say. What do I say? He'd gone through the Bible. He couldn't find the exact right passage. And uh, so they went and he is uh, up there and about to leave because now he's got appointments waiting that he needs to get back for. And, um, and as he's starting to leave, he, he, he looks at his mother-in-law who seems to be unfocused maybe sleeping there on the bed, and, uh, and he's thinking, oh, this could be the wrong time. But he's also feeling a strong prompting that he can't let this moment go, just can't let it go by. So he, he leans over to her and he, he says loudly, because remember, she can't really hear too well, but he says, Betty, do you know who this is? And there's a mumble. And he says, here's a clue, Betty. Who's Diane married to? And she mumbles. And then he says, this is John. Can I ask you a couple of questions? And there's a pause, and then she says, yes. Do you know Jesus? (laughs) Yes, I do. Do you trust him for the forgiveness of sin? Yes, I do. Let me remind you of a couple of stories. Do you remember the story of Jesus and the woman at the well? There's a pause. Yes. What did Jesus do? Betty. Pause. He forgave her. And what about the woman who was about to be stoned? What did Jesus do? a pause. He forgave her. And these women had been involved with so many men and had fallen so many times. And look at Jesus. He forgave them for all of it. So Betty, you need to take this in and believe it. It's hard. Betty, Jesus holds you in the palm of his hand like a precious, rare coin. He doesn't want to let you go. And then he told her that he'd been thinking of a hymn that had been on his mind that morning um, that came to him, and it was familiar to her, and he started singing the words, uh, sang the chorus, actually. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. He told me, I wasn't even halfway through the song, Bill, and she started quietly singing with me. And she kept repeating those words, trust and obey, there's no other way. Her daughter, Diane, uh, John's wife, and uh, the visiting caregiver, was with them right around the bedside there listening in as this whole thing was happening. And uh, Betty was at a very tender place and Diane nudges him and says, John, you need to pray. And so John told me, so we prayed. And I really can't remember anything that I prayed except I remember asking Jesus to comfort and free her, comfort her and free her from the shackles that had plagued her for so many years. You know, guilt, shame, fear, the shackles. And at the end of the prayer, I held her hands and and I told her, 
I love you. And she told me, and I love you too. And he said, she was looking at me directly, you know, as best her eyes would allow, and she appeared totally different. It's like at the beginning she was so unfocused, and now she's focused, and she's clear, and she's alert, so much more so than when we first started talking. And then something else happened. John said, he said, the caregiver asked if she could speak with me. And then she related that her boyfriend was in the midst of a terrible battle with his ex-wife for the custody over his 10-year-old son. And he'd been praying, but he couldn't see God in any of it. He was starting to doubt any bit of faith that he had, so he said, so we talked a while about it and what we do when answers don't seem to come and how sometimes God... um, We look back and we find out that God answers us in his own way and how God matures us when we have the patience to walk through the tough times. And I showed her a book that had been given to me just days earlier called God in the Dark about dealing with doubt. She took a picture of it to order it and we talked for a while and then I hugged my wife and then I got in the car and left. John said, driving home, this is what he told me later, driving home I was struck by several things. How I knew I had to step in to that moment with Betty. Then he said, how I couldn't stand back in the shadows. How amazing her response First, like totally unfocused, and then clear. I had seen her hear and respond. And the other thing I realize but so often forget is that when I step out in faith, others are drawn in. People are hurting. John says, people are hurting for truth. They're hurting for something to believe in. They're hurting for strength. Betty died three days later after we had our talk, and she's home with Jesus now. What a a story, huh? Forgiveness is an amazing thing. It has the power to free, to calm, to encourage, to give peace. And here's the point. We must unleash God's forgiveness in our homes in our families, in our marriages, with our in-laws, with our parents, with our kids, with our spouses, with one another. And in Hosea, the bottom line is a story of forgiveness where God meets us right in the middle of the mess and then tells everybody who will listen, you know, are you wise enough to pay attention to this because it can take you through. Through what? Listen, nobody makes it through this life unwounded. Nobody makes it through unscarred, especially when love is involved and especially when family is involved, when needy, vulnerable, sinful human beings are involved. Now, I started this talk by asking you if I could answer a question for you about why did we spend this time there. I have another question. It's to bring us to this question. This study brings us to this question. When is it time to give up? And I think Hosea... Hosea's answer is this, every day. (laughs) 
every day. Come on. And never. When's the time to give up? Every day and never. Every day we give up our most precious relationships to God. We release them into his hands and never do we stop loving. Do we give up caring? We, we hold on by letting go. As strange as that is, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we feel weak. Sometimes we hurt. Sometimes we feel like we're failing. And that's the time we need to fight the hardest for the things that matter the most. What matters the most? Your relationship with God and your relationship with the loved ones you love in your marriage, in your family, in your future. And what we know is we're not perfect. We're not going to get it right every time. But we can use our freedom toward a better future. And that's what Hosea does. So, guys, this one is for you. Hosea was the man in that house. Hosea was the husband in that marriage. Hosea was the father in that home. And Hosea had plenty of reason to say it's over, I'm done, but he never does. He just, it's, he never quits. It's like he gets up every morning and he, he, he once again says, well, God, I'm in. You know, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what today holds. But if, when it comes to you and your love in the lives of the people that I love, I'm in. So I'm wondering, what would you like to say to the Lord today? I asked some of our deacons recently, I, I shared some of these thoughts with them. Here's what they said. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm all in. I'm in. I'm in. I am in. I am in. I'm in. I'm in. I am in. I'm in. Do you love the deacons of the church? I'm in. Did you notice not one of them said, I'm perfect. I got it all together. No, nobody's going to stand up in this church and do that because we're smarter than that. We know it's not true. But every one of us can say, I'm in. Is that what God wants you to say today? None of us are perfect. All of us are complicated. But not one of us are beyond the reach of God's forgiving grace and God's faithfulness. Nothing is too hard for God. Let's say that together. Nothing is too hard for God. This is our heart and our faith. All of us have issues. But Jesus said we can bring every one of those and lay them down. So that's how we want to conclude our series today. We're going to have a time of prayer. Jesus said, my house is a house of prayer. And our worship response team is coming right now to be available across this front. They're masked, but we're going to be here for one another and offer prayer by name for your family, for your marriage, for your future, for whatever it is that concerns you. Now, if you're thinking... Oh, but, you know, it's COVID, like, right? Yeah, and we're managing all the protocols. We got sanitizer right here, though nobody's going to touch you. And we got masks right here that are wrapped and, san you know, sanitized. So you just take one of those if you want to come. And then let somebody pray God's blessing into your marriage, your family. You may want to come with your family. You may want to come with your, uh, with your spouse. But what are you saying if you come? Just this, I'm in. You know, I don't know what the future holds. And I'm not perfect, 
But when it comes to God's love being available to the people I love, I'm in. And that's really what we're saying. And I want to invite you to take that step today. Maybe it's time to come and pray and, put, and then put the devil on notice that you're not done fighting for your family yet. That God has a blessing for you and we want you in on it. So the first question I want to ask you is the prompting of God. What would you like to say to God and receive back from him? Then is God's prompting to come and receive that blessing in a prayer in this house today? And if you're saying, well, I'm not, I don't know, I don't think it is, but, but if lean into that if it is, then here's the second thing. Maybe it's just a day for you to stand right where you are. And by standing, say, I'm in, Lord, don't pass me by. Or maybe it's time to kneel because you feel the weight of the situation where you are. And we can kneel in this house of prayer and say, Lord, before you, I'm in. But we're going to... We're going to dedicate some time and just invite the Spirit of the Lord to visit us. And I invite you to receive whatever blessing God has for you. So this is that time. We'll bow our heads together for a moment. Some of you will want to stand up and step forward and come out and begin that process of blessing right now. And what's going to happen? Well, when you come forward, a prayer intercessor is going to say, what's your name? How can I pray? And then they will just pray. You can keep your distance, whatever comfortable for you. We have mass here and, like I said, sanitizer. So this is the time just to, to step, get up, step out, and take the step of faith and let God meet you there. Or perhaps you want to just stand where you are or kneel right where you are. And I mean those of you at home as well. Husband, wife, take each other by the hand, kneel at your couch and let God meet you in that holy place right now. Or maybe it's time to stand up together and say, we're going to keep fighting against the right enemy, not each other. We're going to fight the devil and keep our family together. I don't know what God is saying to you, but this is your time to make that move right now. Lord Jesus, grant your people freedom. May we sense the Spirit in such clarity that we know, just like John did, I just can't stay in the shadows. I got to step into this moment. Is that what God is saying to you? Then do it now. It's not time for sitting. It's time for praying. We stand, we kneel, we walk, we come. We receive the blessing. There are sisters to my right, to your left, that are available against the wall. Others available down close. We're praying for one another right now. We're praying for every person who is standing. We're praying for every person who is kneeling. We're praying for every person who is coming. We're praying for every marriage, for every parent-child relationship. We're praying for every hurting place. Receive the blessing now.